Good morning, Redeemer family. It's a joy to spend some time with you today in God's word. And a chapter we're looking at today, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, is an amazing chapter. Uh, the promise made in it, uh, it's one of the great promises that holds the whole Bible together. Uh, helps us to see how the Bible is not a lots of different stories, but one great story pointing to Jesus. And as we consider that today, uh, we'll also see something refreshing uh, in this passage. We'll get a refreshing reminder about who our God is and what he is like. I'm often surprised to find that when I'm ready to serve someone or give something to someone, that I actually receive far more than I could ever give. Uh, you may have experienced this. Uh, you go and visit a friend, uh, expecting that you're going to encourage them and build them up, only to find that they give you far more encouragement uh, than you could ever give them. Or maybe you've started a new job with a wonderful boss who seems far more interested in developing you and growing you than in what you can do for their company. Or maybe you've taken a gift to someone only to go away with a whole handful of gifts given to you. It's, it's a joy when that happens, isn't it? As we come to today's passage, I will see this kind of thing happen to David. David will have a noble plan for how he can serve God, for what he can give to God. And we'll see that actually God is a God who gives more than he receives. And many of us uh, might feel that we have things to give to God. We might have things we want to do for God, noble plan, things we want to achieve for his kingdom. Or we may even be coming to God, uh, hoping that we could have a relationship with him, wanting to give our lives to him. Well, God's word has refreshing news for all of us, as it will show us uh, the God who gives. Uh, let's look together at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, as we meet uh, the God who gives. Chapter 7, verse 1, uh, we're told that when the king David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of Cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And David said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart for the Lord is with you. Now, David had a noble plan. We heard uh, last week, 2 Samuel chapter 6, that the ark of God was important. It symbolized God dwelling with his people. And so David looks around and says, God has given us rest. God has given us peace. David knows that he is now established in a palace. And so David says, it's only right that God isn't in a tent that God's ark doesn't dwell in a tent, but we should build a proper house for it. This shows great thankfulness, uh, great respect. And he doesn't even need to complete his plan when he goes to Nathan. Nathan figures it out. Oh, you're, you're living in our house. God's in a tent. Yeah, yeah, go and do what you need to do. Yet God has other plans. We're told in verse four <clears throat> that that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, 
but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built for me a house of cedar? You see, God wants to remind David that actually David's never provided for God. Israel's never provided for God. God provides for them. David may be worried that God is going to get cold out there in the tent, but God reminds David, no, I care for you. I saved my people from Israel. And as long as they were traveling and they were moving about in tents, I was the God who stayed with them. I dwelt in a tent so that I could move about with them. God is the God who gives. God is the God who provides. God is the God who comes to us and moves with us because he's the God who gives. This is true of Israel's history, but it's also true of David's own life. Uh, God reminds him uh, in verse 8, Uh, Therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. God reminds David uh, that he is the God who gives. While David might have great plans for what he can do for God, God's the God who does things for his people and he has worked for David. But this isn't only in the past. God tells David some things that he is going to do for him. Uh, He says this, uh, verse 10, um, sorry, verse 9, I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. David seems very excited about what he can do for God. His plan to provide for God a place, a house. a a secure dwelling place. Yet God promises David that he's going to give him a name. And God says he's going to provide a secure dwelling for his people. God promises that his people will rest. They'll have rest from their enemies. They will have peace. They'll have their own secure place to dwell in. God's far more interested in what he does for us, in what he gives to us other than what we're able to give to him. And this is summed up. Uh, This is summed up in one verse, uh, in the second half of verse 11. Here, after David has promised that he will build a house for God, we see in verse 11, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And while David wanted to build a house of stone and wood, a temple that could hold the ark of God, uh, God's going to build a different kind of house for David. This house will be building a family, building a kingdom, building a dynasty, the house of David. Uh, This plan, this promise is far more grand than the biggest temple David could ever build. 
Uh, And it comes to us in a promise, a promise which will hold the, the whole Bible together, but also a promise that cannot be broken. God makes a promise to David, a house that he is going to build for David. And this house, uh, this promise, this kingdom cannot be destroyed by death. It cannot be destroyed by sin and it cannot be destroyed by time. This promise will survive death, sin and time. Uh, Look from verse 12. Uh, God promises when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. God makes a promise to David. And even though David will lie down uh, with his fathers in death, God will raise up a son, we're told. And God will establish the kingdom of this son. God's going to build a house for David, uh, even after David himself dies. And he says, actually, David's son will actually build a house for God. But that just wasn't for David's time. This promise outlasts David's death. But this promise also outlasts any sin. Uh, We're told in verse 14, I'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Now, God had raised up Saul as king. Uh, Yet, as we saw in 1 Samuel, uh, this kingdom was taken away from Saul because he wasn't a worthy king. Yet God makes an amazing promise to David uh, that even if you, even if your son, even if those of your house sin, I will punish their sin. I I will deal with their sin. I will discipline them. Yet I will not depart from them. No matter how great the sin of your son and your son's sons, my love will not depart from you. This will not break my promise. This promise can't be broken by sin. And finally, it can't be broken by time. God promises that this kingdom will last forever. Verse 16, your house, your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. You see, David came to his God saying, what can I do for you? Uh, He came saying, I want to build you a house. But God had an important lesson for David and for us, that he is the God who gives far more than he receives. And he promised David, I'm going to build you a house. And this house cannot be destroyed by death. It cannot be destroyed by sin. It cannot be destroyed by time. It will be a forever kingdom. I will build your house, David, and under your rule, the rule of your house, your people will dwell securely. God makes an amazing promise. And we should stop here to remember that, well, our God is still the God uh, who loves to give. He's the God who gives far more than we could ever receive. And some of us may have grand plans for how we can serve God. And that's great. It's wonderful to want to be a part of building God's kingdom, uh, to to share God's word, uh, to do things for God's glory. Yet this passage reminds us that while we might have plans, well, our God may have even bigger plans. 
Our God does more than we ask or expect. And it's wonderful uh, that we toil, are seeking to be a part of building God's church. Yet sometimes we won't see fruit. We won't see results. Well, maybe not in our lifetime. Yet we need to look apart from just what we can do for God. How can I build his church here? How can I have an impact for him here? And see that even uh, beyond our life, beyond our plans, our God may have plans for blessing. Uh, This is the same in our walk with God. I think sometimes we can take God's promises and unwillingly turn them into burdens that we feel we need to carry. Romans 8.28 makes us a great promise uh, that through all things, God is at work for those who love it, for good, the good of those who love him. Yet sometimes I think we can take this promise and turn it into a burden. We can feel that when we go through something hard, we need to find the good in it. We need to see in this terrible situation, what's the good that God is working? How can these wounds turn into wisdom for me? We can take a promise of God and we turn it into a burden. Like I need to find the good. I need to turn this situation for good. Yet Romans 8.28 isn't a command calling us to do that. It's a promise. And even when you can't see the good, even when all you can see is, is despair and brokenness, that God is at work. He is the God who gives. He will work it for good, even when you can't see how. And maybe you're searching for God. Uh, maybe you're, you want a relationship with God and you're ready to, to give whatever it takes to God. you will will find that God has already given everything for you. You might want to give your life to serve this God. You'll see this God has already given his life as Jesus died for you so that you could have that relationship. Our God is the God who gives more than he receives. Yet as we come to this passage, the great thing he gives is the promise of a son. He's going to give a kingdom to the son of David. And this is a promise that will hold the whole Bible together. Because in a way, well, David's son Solomon is this son of David. In a few chapters time, uh, King David will have a son, Solomon. And if you go to the book of 1 Kings, you uh, will see uh, the account of Solomon's reign. And we'll see these promises beginning to be fulfilled. Uh, God will establish the kingdom of David's son, Solomon, where David spent his life kind of fighting various wars. Solomon lived in relative peace. Uh, While David's kingdom was great, Solomon's kingdom was greater. God really did establish his kingdom. Uh, Where David was told that he wasn't to build the house for God, Solomon did build a house. He built the temple, a wondrous grand temple to house the ark of God. But sadly, uh, even as his kingdom was established and he built this house for God, well, Solomon sinned greatly and he experienced the Lord's discipline. Yet even through this sin, even through this failure, God's promise remained. And after Solomon, things got even worse. There were more sons of David, uh, kings in, in his own line. 
And some of them were decent kings. Some of them were terrible kings. And through them, the people seemed to enjoy less and less peace, uh, more and more fighting and, and disturbance. And eventually, uh, the kings who sat in Jerusalem in God's place, uh, they would be taken away. The whole, whole people of God would be taken away to a foreign land. It would feel like God's promise had been lost. Where was this kingdom of David that would last forever? Uh, Where is this kingdom, this son of David? Yet even at Israel's darkest moments, God's promise remained. In the book of Isaiah, there's there's an amazing promise. Uh, It's something that we, we remember even at Christmas. In Isaiah, as God's people are being taken away, as there's no longer a son of David sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, when things look dark, We're told this, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Well, to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. When all hope seems lost, or the hope for God's people is not in their goodness, but in God's promise. It's not in what they can do to rescue themselves, but it's in the God who gives. We're told uh, after this king will come, we're told that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this because it won't come from his own people, their initiative, what they can give. God's made a promise and he remains the God who will give. And that's where we meet the greater David, the son of David. As we turn to our New Testaments, Testaments, the very first verse, Matthew 1 verse 1, tells us, introduces us to Jesus Christ, the son of David. And we'll see in Jesus' life, people asking, is this the Christ? And the Christ means the anointed one, the son, the the king of Israel. People will cry out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because Jesus is David's greater son. Uh, God will establish a a forever kingdom and he will do it through his son, Jesus. Uh, Through him, a kingdom will be established forever. Uh, Through him, he will uh, build a house. Through him, he will give peace and security and rest to his people. Uh, A rest even greater than they enjoyed there in Israel. But the rest that will last for eternity in heaven. Jesus will build a house for God's name but not a temple of wood and stone. Jesus says that though that temple will be destroyed, that his own body is the temple, that he is building a temple made up of men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation, that they are now the temple of God, uh, that, that, that God's people, the church, that's where he now dwells. Jesus is the one who will build a house for God. And the one thing that doesn't seem to fit here, the promise of 2 Samuel 7, 
uh, is that actually this son of David is meant to be punished. Uh, He's meant to be disciplined where Jesus had no sin of his own. Jesus didn't need to be disciplined. Yet, we know that he was. That Jesus, the son of David, had no sin of his own. He was disciplined. Uh, He did experience the stripes, uh, the, the punishment that we deserve. Because he took the punishment in our place. He took the death that we deserved so that we could have relationship with God. Jesus is the greater David. And it's in Jesus that we receive a kingdom that lasts for eternity. This picture that under David's rule, uh, his people would have rest and peace forever. Well, as God's people, those who trust in Jesus, uh, we are his people under his rule who will be safe and at peace for all of eternity because the greater David came. How do you respond to a promise like this? How do you respond to a God like this? I've got a picture in my mind of David there sort of holding the blueprints for the really cool temple, the really cool house he wanted to build for God. And God says, I'm, you're not building a house for me. I'm going to build you a house that will outlast whatever sin you can throw it out, that will outlast death, that will outlast all of time. And David's still holding his kind of blueprints, saying, well, the house would have been pretty cool. Well, how David responds is that he goes to this God of grace in prayer. He goes in thankful uh, and adoring prayer, but he also goes in confident and bold prayer. And that's how we can continue to respond to this God. First, David shows great gratitude. And we're told in verse 18 of 2 Samuel 7, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord, O God. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you've brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there's none like you. There's no God besides you, according to all that we've heard with our ears. David realizes that everything he has, everything he's been given is not because of what he can do. It's because God is a God of grace and God has given it. That we can join David in even greater praise. We can look to our God and say we are his children, not because we deserve it, but because God sent his one and only son and that he took our place so that we could have his place in God's family. Uh, David reflects on the grace shown to all his people. Uh, He says, who is like your people Israel, uh, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, Lord, became their God. We can join David with even greater praise. 
because God has called us from all the corners of the earth to be his people, to be his family. And he calls us, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus, well, his people. He is our God. But finally, uh, because God is the God who gives, he's the God who gives great promises. He's the God who keeps those promises. David can pray bold, uh, great things because God has made great promises. Hear David's prayer. And now, Lord, verse 25, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. How can David ask God to give him a kingdom that will last forever? It sounds amazing. It sounds ridiculous to ask for a kingdom that would last forever. Yet God has promised it. So David can come with boldness and ask God to do what he has promised. Uh, he, He prays, verse 26, your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God over Israel and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. We can pray bold, confident, ridiculous things before before our God because he has promised such amazing things. We can come to our God and ask for our friends, for our neighbours, those who seem to be in darkness, those who know nothing of Christ. We can ask that God would draw them to himself, make them his children. We can pray these, these big prayers because God promises that his gospel is the power for salvation to all who believe. Uh, it might not be in our time. It might not be in the way that we expect. But we ask great things from God because he has promised such great things to us in his word. And we trust that while we long for him to work, we long for him to work in our time, in our way. uh, He will work, even if it's in his time, even in another time. We can come to him asking that he would be at work, even if if we're in the mess caused by our own sin, our own foolishness. We can ask bold things to actually use even this situation for good, to use even this situation to shape us to be more like Jesus, to use this situation for his glory. Even though we might be suffering the consequences of our own sin, our own foolishness, we can trust that God will answer this prayer because he's promised that he will do so. He's promised that all things work together for the good of those who love him. Uh, You might be searching for God. Uh, You might want a relationship with God. Uh, But no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, you can boldly ask God to forgive your sins and he will. Because he's promised that he will do so. 
You'll take your sinners as far away as the east is from the west. We have a God who gives so much more ready to give than we we ask or imagine. We have a God who, who shows grace, who loves to give. So we need to look to him with expectation. Uh, to look to him and his word and those things he has promised because he will keep his promise. Uh, the American president, John F. Kennedy, uh, famously uh, told uh, his citizens uh, to ask not what your country can do for you, but to ask what you can do for your country. Or in this passage, we can do great things for God. I think God is calling us to do the total opposite. He's saying, ask not what you can do for God, but ask what God has done and is doing and has promised to do for you because he is the God who gives. He is the God who is at work. He is the God who is building his church. He is the God who forgives sin. So you can come to him with praise, with thanks, with confidence because he is the God who gives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you Uh, that you show yourself to us in your word. Uh, We thank you for this promise you made to your servant David. We thank you that you have kept that promise in your greater son, the son of David, Jesus Christ. Thank you that as our king, uh, you've established his kingdom, that now we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that will last for all of eternity, that death cannot break, that sin cannot break. We pray that as the servants of of his kingdom, that we would trust him. Help us to come to you, to look to you in your goodness. As we serve you, help us to be overwhelmed by the ways that you have served us. As we seek to live for you, help us to be overwhelmed by what you have done for us. Lord, we want to honor you. We want to be a part of what you are doing. Yet thank you for what you have done and are doing. We call on you. We call on you to work uh, for your kingdom's sake. Father, build your church. Father, work in us. Shape us to be more like your son. And we pray it boldly, not because of anything in us, uh, but through the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.